Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hi it's aaron and brandon you're listening to the Real Nurses Real Talk podcast. Together, we have over 30 years of nursing experience, including bedside nursing, education, and leadership. Our goal is to provide you with unique insights and perspectives into this incredible profession called nursing. So join us each week for Real Talk that will be sure to heal, empower, and inspire. All right, let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to episode three and welcome to this journey that we're on of compassion. It's been a good journey. <laughs> yes, it has. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it. Oh, People nice. are saying that they really enjoy it. Good. I'm and glad. I, and you said there was a couple, I don't know if it was last week's episode or the week before you said we had quite a few downloads. Yeah. There, so, were, there were a lot last so episode. So I don't know if it's new people finding us Hopefully. or if just a lot of people are interested in what we're talking about. Yeah. If you're part of the OG group, thank you for continuing to listen. <laughs> the if you're, OG. And if you're new, then thank you for newly listening. Okay. How about that? Yeah. All right. So you kicked us off. So what, what random thought fact do you have? Well, it kind of goes off of what you've been saying about if you want to get the message out there about a new process or something new, don't say it's because of accreditation or mm-hmm. whatever. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's bring it back to the patient, bring it about, bring it back to why we are doing what we're doing. Yeah. So, you know, it's the beginning of the year, calendar year, we're rolling out education. We're rolling out all this new stuff. And you know, part of my new job is as an educator. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be rolling out education here shortly. Our team is getting ready to, and I don't want to roll it out. We obviously are rolling it out because of accreditation purposes. But truly, the reason we're doing it is because we want our care of our patients to be safe, high quality, compassionate, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be interesting and engaging and all those things as well. Okay. But I find that people... And uh, specifically nurses, but all staff are so burnt out. And I, I know you hate that word, but they don't want any more education. So I have to find just this middle ground to keep people engaged. And it's a struggle. It, uh, yeah, I think it is a struggle, but I think as a profession, we have to understand that we have entered into a profession where continuing education and continual learning is part of the work. And I think that is part of the problem you know, as we in the ER entered in, like 
our people tell, you know, they say, they set the expectation like, hey, there's going to be a lot of education coming your way every year. And I think we've, and I hate to use the word coddled, but I think we've used COVID and hard times and all that to say, well, let's give them a break. Let's give them a break. But part of being a healthcare provider, like healthcare changes all the time Mm -hmm. and you have to keep up. Well, I think one of the other issues is that we don't view education time as protected time. So it's that's true too. work You're your exactly full-time right. hours and then get your education. And right. that's something that should absolutely change. And they want us to do it while we're on the, on the clock. And that it, doesn't happen. No, it can't happen a yeah. lot of times. So anyway, that's just something that I've been struggling with yeah. for, a, for a little bit. We have to continually want to learn and have a desire to learn, but the system has to make it to where that desire can become a reality is what I kind of fundamentally believe. So for mine, um, and we don't share just a little tidbit that we were actually talking about before we hopped on. Uh, we don't share our random thoughts or random facts with each other beforehand. Is your short or is it long? And he wouldn't even tell me (laughs) because we want the reactions to be raw. So here's, here's one for you. Um, I've had some kind of sad ones over the last uh, couple of weeks, but this is a good one. So on January the 10th or excuse me, January the 12th was national pharmacist day. Cool. And national pharmacist day is celebrated annually on January the 12th, offering a day to celebrate the differences pharmacists make in patients' lives each and every day. An interesting fact, pharmacists work in nearly every healthcare environment, including retail, hospitals, specialty pharmacies, and more. The profession is also growing with an expected 2% growth between 2021 and 2031, according to the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics. So for any pharmacists that are out there working, I know that we say it at the very end, and that that mantra that we have at the very end is all-inclusive, not just for nurses, but happy belated Pharmacist Day, and thank you for the work that you do. Yes, and it, it does matter. And I have been bailed out in many situations by pharmacists. They are so helpful yeah. in the work that we do. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to jump right into it. So we uh, ended last episode with uh, a statement that some may say is um, kind of a, a straightforward statement or kind of a provocative statement, if you will. I don't think that it is. I think that it's just us stating the truth, and that was that a lack of compassion poses a serious patient safety risk, period. That when patients are cared for by caregivers who are not expressing compassion, who are not acting in a compassionate manner, who are not uh, showing compassion, that absolutely poses a serious patient safety and quality risk. So one of the things that we left off with uh, last time, we were going to answer two questions because this is, I've been told this is going to be our last episode on (laughs) compassion. So we're going to answer two questions. It's the, I don't have time, which I think we can go through pretty quickly because we don't have time either. And then we're going to roll through the, I don't care. So before we get into the I don't have time. Let me just say that this conversation around I don't have time is built upon the premise that compassion is extra work. Compassion is not extra work. It is the work. Period. All right? But if we go on the basis that maybe compassion does take a little bit of extra time, maybe it it actually does require a little bit more effort how much extra time does it actually take? Did you know that a Harvard medical study showed that 56% of physicians believe that they do not have enough time to treat patients with compassion? 50? 
56% of, of these are physicians, of course. Yikes. So again, this is, this is based on the belief that compassion is extra work, but it is not extra work at all. So let me show you, just give you an example of how much time compassion actually takes. So this is from John Hopkins University, and I love this because this is a study looking at um, uh, oncology patients and consultations with oncologists and with the experience that dad just went through and be- meeting with oncologists, both mom and dad, and and kind of knowing what they went through. I think that I can see some of this within the interactions that they had. So John Hopkins University performed a randomized control trial in cancer patients during consultation with oncologists, and the main outcome measure was a well-validated measurement scale of anxiety, which is what we would consider avoidable suffering. Mm-hmm. So I know that we've not really gone through the whole suffering uh, discussion yet, but this is uh, anxiety is what we would call avoidable suffering. So they took that and they compared it to a standard consultation from an oncologist. And then some patients were randomized into an enhanced compassion intervention from an oncologist. And what they found was that those patients who were randomized into that enhanced compassion intervention from the oncologist had significantly less anxiety at the end of the consultation. So you may be asking, okay, what was the intervention? And if you are, I'm glad you are. If you are asking that, I'm glad <laughs> I you're am asking. asking that. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. So instead of telling you about that intervention, let me just read to you what that intervention was. All right. Here it is. So the oncologist would say, and if you want to pull out a clock or a watch or a timer or something, do it now. I know this is a tough experience to go through, and I want you to know that I'm here with you. Some of the things that I say to you today may be difficult to understand, so I want you to feel comfortable in stopping me if there's something I say that is confusing or doesn't quite make sense. We're here together, and we will go through this together. And I know that this is a tough time for you, and I want to emphasize again that we are in this together, and I will be with you each step along the way. Well, it took four, almost 15 seconds for you to say it, plus the time it took me to find my stopwatch <laughs> Yeah, because I, I kind of caught you off guard, yeah. right? So on average, what they found was that when you get in and you start talking to patients and you have emotion with it, 28 seconds. Okay. Uh, on average, 28 seconds. And that's not extra work. That, that's done in the midst of the work that you're already doing. Mm-hmm. So 28 seconds for that specific intervention – There are other studies out there that look at how long compassionate interventions are taking. And it ranges anywhere from 32 seconds all the way up to 56 seconds. But But that sounded more like a script. I feel like compassionate care is more like the work that you're doing already incorporated in, you know, incorporated in the care that you're already giving. Yeah, you know and, what I mean? And, well, I mean, and part of compassion is expressing yes. empathy and compassion to another human being. And right. that's just the one thing that they were focused on okay. in that study. But yeah, you're exactly right. That's a great point. That compassion is not scripting. Yeah. Like, let's put that out there very clearly. Like, I hate scripting. I know you do. Because it's like a robot sometimes. I mean, I could take that exact same script yeah. and 
flip it and speak like a robot, like I don't care, and how damaging would that be? Right. Right? So that's a really great point, that that compassion does not just encompass saying the right words. Compassion is human touch. It's eye contact. It's listening. It's how you talk to people. It's your facial expressions. But those things do not take any time. Those things don't take any time. That's exactly right. So in these studies, and I would be happy to share them with anybody that may be interested in them, uh, when you look at it, there's five studies, main studies, um, that are here, uh, again, ranging from 32 seconds to 56 seconds. And on average, the median time is around 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. So again, understanding this fact that, number one, compassion is not extra work. It is the work. But number two, that the research shows that the evidence actually shows us that it takes less than a minute to to convey compassionate behaviors, mm-hmm. to convey compassion to another human being, is it really a lack of time or is it the perception of a lack of time? Now, oh, wow. let me be very clear here that our care teams, that our caregivers are busy, yeah. all right, yeah, yeah. without even having to say that. Our caregivers are busy. Mm-hmm. So you do lack the time. Yeah. But you have to answer the question of, is my perception of a lack of time a powerful thing that's keeping me from doing this? And let me give you a really, really fascinating study. You've never heard this before. I've never talked to you about this before. So there was a Harvard Medical School uh, study that was done way back in 1973. All right, we're going way back. And a group of researchers studied students at Princeton Theological Seminary. So now we're looking at seminary students, all right? The students were randomly assigned to uh, either an intervention arm in which they actually received a talk on the biblical parable of the Good Samaritan. And that, of course, is a message of compassionate helping uh, for a stranger in distress. So that was the intervention arm. The control arm received a talk on some unrelated non-helping topic. All right. Immediately after, the students were instructed to walk to another building for their next assignment. And on their walk, they encountered a stranger in need. This is a fake stranger in need? You're jumping ahead of me. But yes, they did. It was part of the study. It was someone that was disheveled, lying on the side of the road between the two buildings, moaning, obviously in distress. And yes, this was an actor that was uh, playing part uh, part of the experiment. So what they found was that overall, only 40% of the seminarians stopped to help the man in distress. Okay. And those that were randomly assigned to hear the Good Samaritan message were no more likely to stop and help than those who weren't. The message didn't matter. But the most striking finding was the major determinant of compassionate helping which I haven't even gotten to tell you about yet. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So this was one of the most amazing things, I think, about this entire study. So 
all of the seminarians, so after they finished both the intervention arm and the control arm, all of the seminarians were instructed to go to another nearby building on campus for their next assignment. And in doing so, with those instructions, they would have to walk right past that person that was lying in distress in the alley. Now, they randomized them in uh, in an additional way. So remember, they were randomized into the intervention arm and randomized into the control arm. Well, they were randomized again. Half were randomly told that they did not need to rush. And this is what they called the no hurry condition. But the other half were given the exact same instructions about which building to go to next. But this half was told that they were already late for their next assignment and that they needed to hurry. And this is what they called the hurry condition. And of note, these seminarians weren't really late for anything at all. They were and just, this is a totally different group? No, this is the, the same, same group. group. Yeah, okay. they were randomized again. Okay, so this okay. is one of the really fascinating parts of this. So they weren't really late for anything at all, right? They were just made yeah, to believe. Fake late. Yeah. Here's what they found. Those in the hurry condition, mm-hmm. of course, were significantly more likely to pass by the person in distress without stopping. Specifically, 63% of the no hurry stopped. How many in the hurry group do you think stopped? Zero. 10%. We'll give them a little bit, right? 10%. And when they began to talk to the seminarians and really try to find out what was going on, they found that believing to be in a hurry was the only factor that predicted whether or not the seminarians would stop. So it could be, it could be, now again, on the basis that, yes, our care teams are busy, absolutely, and on the basis that sometimes people believe that compassion is extra work, but it is not the work, it is possible that there's a disconnect between the perception of time that it may take and the actual time, and that could be a major contributor for what patients are perceiving as a lack of compassion in healthcare. What do you think? Well, I also think that when you appear busy and when you don't give the patients their designated time and you look like you care and you sit down with them and talk, like I'm picturing in my mind, one of my coworkers that I mentioned several times Mm -hmm. on this podcast Mm -hmm. who literally will pull a stool up, look at them in the eye and take the time to talk to them. And he finds random facts about them. He could talk to the wall though. Um, But Taking that time to talk to them means the world to them, and it shows compassion. Whereas if you look hurried and busy, yeah, that's that, true. That, that does nothing. That's a great point. So it's that perception. Absolutely. As well. And that sitting down, many times it's just for a couple minutes, but yeah. it feels like forever for that patient. Right, but he's also doing it at the same time as doing other tasks. Yeah, and here's the thing I always tell people. Sit down any opportunity that you have. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't get that many opportunities. So, exactly. So a sit discharge. Down, take it. Like when you're giving discharge papers, sit down with them. Yeah. It shows that yeah. you have time. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Thank you. So there's the there's the time part. So I think that we've debunked the yeah. I don't have time. Oh, so, hey, by the way, you have told me that study before. Have I? Yes, oh, you have. Big sad. No, it's not big sad. Yeah, I, I have forgotten I, parts I think I probably of it. told you when I first read about it because I mean, it was it's, fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. I mean, that's like the psychology. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I'm sure it's some other word for it, but anyway. All right, so let's <laughs> let's wrap up this discussion with the I don't care. Okay. And before we talk about the I don't care, it's fundamental, as I know we've said it many, many times before, I refuse to believe that anyone comes to work and desires to interact with patients, families, people in crisis 
with uh, a lack of compassion. So this perception, if you will, or or maybe this excuse of I don't care is 100% caused by the epidemic of emotional exhaustion and depersonalization, Mm -hmm. period. What's typically described as burnout. Now, I think we've talked about this maybe before. Mm -hmm. I'm going to like choke down the words burnout here because this is what they use a few times in these different studies. But I hate the word burnout. Go back and listen to a couple podcasts previously to understand why we hate the word burnout here. But again, I refuse to believe that caregivers come to work intending to provide uncompassionate care. And I'm sure that every single person who is in healthcare today that is listening to this podcast knows that that you are acutely aware of the prevalence of compassion fatigue, depersonalization. Uh, The literature supports this. In 2017, well before the unbelievable stressors placed on nurses by COVID, researchers found that 85% of nurses said that their jobs made them feel fatigued overall that 63% noted that their work has resulted in burnout, 63%. And 44% reported being worried that their tiredness was going to cause their patient care to suffer. And we know that the literature shows that approximately 50% of U.S. physicians are suffering burnout symptoms. So what is the impact that this is having on our caregivers? We also know that physicians experience the highest suicide rate of any profession at all. But for our nurses, there's no data out there. The American Nurses Association notes that nurses are at a higher risk of suicide than the general population, but it's not well known at all. So again, I think that we've said this before, but I will never, ever miss the opportunity when we're talking about burnout, compassion fatigue, depersonalization, to to not talk about caring for yourself and understanding the human cost of burnout. So if you are on this, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you are having these types of feelings, but they're manifesting themselves in ways that maybe you're having suicidal ideations, we've said it before, I'm going to say it again. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Make sure that you reach out. Make sure that you call somebody. The Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. The SuicidePreventionLifeline.org. The American Nurses Association has a number of resources out there as well. So because of this human cost of burnout, this human toll with burnout, many people believe, I just don't have anything to give right? Mm -hmm. They feel like I don't have anything to give. And when you don't have anything to give, you feel like you got to kind of pull away, right? Because I can't be at the bedside. I don't have anything else to give. Whenever I talk to our new folks coming in, I always tell them, figure out your plan for refreshing, refueling, and recharging. And one of the ways that people will frequently tell you to do that is to get away. Mm-hmm. Right. How many times have you heard that? Okay. Make sure that you get out. Make sure that you go out in the woods, go for a hike, get yeah. out, do something. Right. Well, that's what we call escapism. Mm-hmm. So does escapism work? Everybody gives you the advice to do escapism. Right. <laughs> but does escapism really work? Well, if you look at the literature, if you look at what the evidence says, so what's escapism first? It's the act of getting away, mm-hmm. right? It's the act of getting away from patient care as much as possible to achieve that, quote, work-life balance. Well, I think it, it it's a temporary fix. It's almost like a leaky faucet it or a Band-Aid on a 
gushing wound. Like it will help you for a little while, but then you have to go back to work. Exactly. Because what the literature shows is that escapism interventions do reduce burnout. Sure. But the effects are moderate at best. Right. And I think that you have just hit the nail on the head of why that is. So what I would contend to you today in the case that I'm going to make is that instead of running away from the work, that we should actually lean into the work. Now, it could be intuitive. Now, wait. You always say that you are, what is the word? That Idealistic. You, yes, you're very idealistic. Yeah. You are going to have to sell this oh, really I got it. hard. I got it. Okay. I got okay, you. Okay. So it would be intuitive <laughs> to some extent to believe that there could be a risk of burnout with repeated and excessive exposure to human suffering. We've talked about that before. We are witness to unbelievable, almost immeasurable human suffering. But did you know that there is an enormous amount of literature that actually supports a different view? That human connection, that that human-to-human connection, compassion, can actually transform the experience for not only the recipient of that compassion— but also for you as the giver of compassion, that it triggers positive emotions and it actually builds resilience, that it can be protective. And by the way, resilience is not a bad word. I feel like we've said that before, but I'm going to continue to say it. Resilience is not a bad word. Resilience is something that we should have always. So this isn't, I would say that this isn't a new concept either, because for millennia, philosophers and thinkers have intuitively understood that compassion for others could be and is beneficial for our own, for the giver of that compassion, for their own well-being. Way back in the, let me read you four real uh, quotes really quick, okay? Okay. Way back in the 13th century, uh, the famed mystic and uh, poet Rumi said this, when we practice loving kindness and compassion, we are the first to profit. Then in the late 1800s, American writer and philosopher Albert Hubbard said this, human service is the highest form of of self-interest for the person who serves. All right, I got two more. Those are really good. I love these. I love these kind of quotes. Uh, the next one is um, most recently a Buddhist teacher and compassion activist uh, Joan Halifax said this. Many of us think that compassion drains us, but I promise you, it is something that truly enlivens us. And then think about this one. It's from Henry Nouwen, N-O-U-W-E-N. And he says this, The joy that compassion brings is one of the best-kept secrets of humanity. It's a secret known only to a very few people. And I would say that nurses and people in healthcare are part of that very few people. A secret that has to be rediscovered over and over again. So what most people believe is that if I have high compassion, I'm going to suffer from high burnout, right? That, that's what most people believe, that if I pour myself out into other human beings, that I'm going to be at a higher risk for burnout, that there's somehow uh, a, a positive correlation to those. But a systematic review of the evidence shows that that is not the case at all. The majority of data shows the actual complete opposite to be true, that the association between compassion and burnout has an inverse relationship, inverse, that high compassion is associated with low burnout. High compassion, when you give 
of yourself to another human being, that is actually associated with lower compassion. And a further review of the evidence shows that not only is high compassion uh, correlated with lower burnout, but high compassion is actually protective against burnout. That's what the evidence shows, that compassion is the antidote to burnout. Compassion is the antidote to compassion fatigue. Compassion is the antidote to depersonalization and emotional exhaustion. And if you don't believe me, then I can tell you that a living, breathing example of this is sitting right across from me right now. Oh, you're so sweet. One of the most (laughs) absolute compassionate people when it comes to caring for other human beings and pours herself out into people day in and day out and seems to be completely protected from compassion fatigue and emotional exhaustion. And I know that your fellow care work givers see it and they've told you about it too. Like, I don't understand. How do you do this every day? Well, I mean, granted, you were coming in flex time and working those four, eight hour like princess <laughs> queen shifts like to, or whatever. To talk about that too. <laughs> but I don't think that has anything to do with it I, I, because that would say that escapism works, right? Yeah. But I believe that it's because you go in and you give everything that you have and you literally pour every bit of yourself out into those other patients or those other human beings that you're caring for. And the evidence shows us that there is a reciprocal effect whereby you are filled. And I'm telling you that you can talk to Erin about it because she is filled in the process. I can see it when she comes home. Yeah, she's tired. She's worn out when she comes home, but she's full And she's full because she has given of herself. So the plea that we are making, the the case that we are making here today is that as we as nurses specifically combat, and listen, compassion fatigue is one of those things that everybody seems to have the answer for, right? You can go out and Google compassion fatigue conference, and there are thousands that are going to come up because everybody thinks they have the the solution to compassion fatigue, but guess what? We're still dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So maybe the solution hasn't been found yet. Here's a solution that we can try. Compassion. I've said that compassion could be the answer for emergency department overcrowding (laughs) because of those studies that we saw earlier. Could more compassion in healthcare, could more compassionate caregivers help to decrease the amount of depersonalization, emotional exhaustion, compassion fatigue that we're seeing in healthcare today? I think it could, but we can't just stop at our caregivers because we need compassionate leaders as well. We need compassionate healthcare systems. We need compassionate executives who they don't get to pour themselves out into patients necessarily. They should be pouring themselves out into the care teams. We are, this was, Oh snap. This was uh, episode number one, right? Yeah. Stop saying patients first yeah. as an executive. Who are you pouring yourself out into? If all you're pouring yourself out into is a computer, there's a problem. Yeah. You should be pouring yourself out into other human beings as a leader. That's what you're doing. You're pouring into others. What are you pouring into them? Are you pouring compassion? Because the evidence shows us that if you pour compassion in, there's a reciprocal effect where you are filled. So this is an across the board call for compassion in healthcare as an antidote to compassion fatigue emotional exhaustion, and depersonalization. So what do you say for those people who are not only burnout and struggling with 
compassion fatigue who really struggle with compassion? So number one, I would say that have you really stopped to ask yourself, why are you doing the work that you're doing? Okay. Because many times, and I know that we've not, did we, have we talked about purpose driven yet? I think that we did maybe. Yeah, we did. Uh, we've got so many that we talked about. It all kind of runs together And that's sometimes. another point that I'll make is I know I've given him grief about only doing three episodes on compassion. Compassion will always be at the forefront, just like patience. Of every conversation patient we have. Yeah. yeah. But Absolutely. anyway, sorry, go ahead. So why are you doing the work that you're doing? Because many times, and, and are you focusing on that why? Because many times when we just focus on tasks we lack fulfillment in our work okay. because we're not doing the tasks that we want. So there's number one. Have you lost your why? Have okay. you lost your your North Star, your guiding light behind everything that you do? Reconnect with that purpose. Reconnect with that why. Because when you reconnect with that why, when you reconnect with that, that purpose for doing this work, you find joy in that work. Mm-hmm. And when we give of ourselves, coming back to compassion, you're refilled, you're refueled, there is joy in that work. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I'm going to say this. Please don't think that we're just saying this is going to be some kind of like um, euphoric thing where you go to work and you're like walking on clouds and everything's yeah. beautiful and perfect. Rainbows and butterflies. There you go. That's not it. Like you're going to be tired. You're, you're giving and, of yourself. And you're still going to have difficult times and patience and there's all a, those There's a difference yeah. between being physically tired, mentally tired, and emotionally tired. Yeah. And what I see from you as you come home and after you've poured yourself out into other people is, yeah, you're physically tired, you're most likely mentally tired, but you seem to be emotionally full to where you can come home and and pour out into me as your husband and and Sadie as your daughter and your family. So that's what we're saying is that that, that, that. that feel feeling of yourself is on the emotional side. You're, you know, when you take 20,000 steps in a shift, you're, you're going to be tired. Yeah. Right. So the other thing, back to the example of the question that you were asking is, have you really stopped and talked to somebody? Because what I find is that a lot of people who are suffering from compassion, fatigue, emotional exhaustion, it's because they've bottled everything up mm-hmm. because we've not allowed them the opportunity to process the extreme trauma and the extreme human suffering that they've been witness to. They've just been bottling it all up and you can't bottle that stuff up. Like we have to work through it. And unfortunately the system many times doesn't allow people to work through it. So, Hey, Hey leaders, are you allowing your care teams to work through it? Right. Are you giving them space? Are you giving them time? The medical pause, P-A-U-S-E. I know I have a a West Virginia draw there sometimes. (laughs) That's one thing that we can do, right? We were just witness to an NFL football player who received uh, CPR out on the field. And suddenly the entire world was like, oh, my gosh, how do people do this every single day? Like, yeah, we've been screaming that from the mountaintops, right? How do we do this every single day? It's not normal. It's not normal to do that and then go on to your everyday life. So go to the very next patient without working through it. So have you, have you stopped and and been able to talk and work through some of those things that you're feeling? Have you just talked to somebody? And I think that many times a trusted colleague is is a good first step, but employee assistance program, EAP, a counselor, 
I know we talked about this before, but we have to break down the stigma of if you go talk to somebody as a nurse, then there's something wrong with you. No, we all should be talking to each other. I mean, I'm immensely blessed that that we can talk about stuff together Mm -hmm. because we're both nurses, so we understand it. If you don't have anybody that you can talk to, go to EAP. Talk to somebody. And then the next thing that I would say is maybe you're one of those people who does need to disconnect. Maybe you need to go and get away for a week or two so that you can refresh and refuel and recharge in your own way so that you can come to work full. And then with a full tank, you're now pouring yourself out into other people whereby you are then filled. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to pour yourself out into others with an empty tank, there's nothing left to give. So this might be a difficult question to ask, but is there ever a situation in which someone would say, I don't know that nursing is for me anymore. I think I'm done. Like, do you think it would ever get to a point? I know we jokingly say like, if you're doing it for the money and you're not compassionate, like go work with plants. I know you say that jokingly, but is there an ever a situation in which burnout, resilience, you know, compassion, fatigue, all those things get to a point where you have to just walk away completely? I think the answer to that question is yes, but it's not your fault. Okay. The answer to that question is yes and. Okay. Yes and it's not your fault. Yes and many times you're feeling that way because of the extreme unnecessary pressures that either leadership is putting on you or the organization or just the Systems. healthcare system yeah. is putting on you, right? So those overwhelming pressures. So we we look at it as kind of a pendulum. So on one side is the inherent rewards. So we just talked the, about that. Yeah. The joy of caring for other human beings, but there's also inherent stress of working with other human beings yeah. and seeing all that suffering. But then you get the added rewards and the added stressors. Yeah. And when we see all of those added stressors outweigh any of the rewards, you get what you're talking about right now. And the amazing thing is the added stressors, it's usually not the inherent stressors. It's normally not coming to work to take care of patients. Most of the time, the happiest nurses are the nurses to get to come to work, take care of patients, to go home. Yeah. Right? Because that's why I got into nursing. That's what I want to do. As a clinical instructor, I freaking love it. I get <laughs> to go, take care of patients, talk to nursing students all day, and go home. And yeah. I'm done. I freaking love it. I mean, there's a call, a little plug for anybody to go into nursing education. Uh, but that's one of the things that I love. So the the inherent stress is not the stuff that weighs you down. We have to work through that inherent stress, absolutely. But it's the added stressors that are exhausting, emotionally, physically, mentally exhausting and overwhelming. And at times just cause you to throw your hands up in the air and say, I quit. This isn't worth it. This is stupid. I can't even take care of patients anymore because of all the stupid bureaucracy. I can't even take care of patients anymore because I have a horrible, feckless leader who does nothing but tear me down as an individual, who doesn't care about the patient. All they care about is the the, the bottom line of the budget. I can't do it anymore. I did not get into healthcare to do this. So, yeah. And there's my soapbox that... I went on for way too long. <laughs> so so what I'll say to end this, this discussion is this right here. Over the last three episodes, I think that we have shown that compassion is absolutely evidence-based practice. But I'm going to tell you this. Compassion is healing for the recipient of that compassion. But the really incredible thing is that compassion for other human beings is also healing for you 
as the giver of compassion. And here's a plea. All right, here's our walk away. What we've talked about over the last three episodes is 100% a choice. It's not something that could be mandated, right? Like, I don't even know what that means to mandate compassion. Yeah, joint commission isn't mandated. Yeah, when, when you mandate <laughs> compassion, that's when we get a bunch of robots and scripting right. and all that mess. Right. So it's, and, and that's not compassion. But at the end of the day, this is a choice. And I would contend, so the research shows that there's some stuff out there that says we make like 30,000 decisions in a day, right? Hmm. Just an incredible number of decisions. The most important decision that you will make for the safety, quality, and compassion that the person that is entrusted to you will receive is your next one. It's your next decision. So our ask, my ask, my, my plea for every person that's listening to the sound of my voice right now is that you would join us on this movement to bring compassion back to healthcare, to bring compassion back to where it belongs as part of safe, high-quality, compassionate, connected care, because it is a choice. And our hope is that you will choose compassion. Why bother? Why do we want to bother? Here's one thing that I always ask people. How many people at the end of your shift, you're having to hold your scrub pants up because they're so weighted down with tips? And it, yeah, I normally get the laugh and, and it's more of a rhetorical question, right? Yeah, if, yeah. if you are receiving tips, stop because we're like human resources is going to get involved, but we're not a tip based industry, right? So why at the end of the day, we get paid the same, whether patients have a great experience or a really poor experience. So why bother? Well, here's why we should bother. Not every day it's going to offer you the opportunity to save someone's life. Right. And in healthcare, it's an amazing thing when you get the opportunity to save someone's life, yeah. but not every day is going to do that. But every single day and every interaction that you have with those that you are here to serve offers you the opportunity to impact someone's life. And every single person within the sound of my voice, every single person that is a caregiver in healthcare, you impact lives in ways that you will never, ever fully understand. Give of yourself freely. Give safe, high-quality compassionate, connected care freely because those that have been entrusted to our care deserve nothing less. All right. It's been a good journey over the last three episodes. This one ran a little bit long, but we got through it together. Uh, Hey, we would love to hear from you. Any thoughts that you may have around compassion in healthcare, maybe any strategies that you have. Aaron gave us a a great strategy. We do need to look at this tactically, right? There do need to be strategies around providing compassionate care. And Aaron gave a great example. That was a great walk away to sit down, like take the time to sit down, pull up a chair. That came from my coworker, Don. Yeah. Shout out to Don. Thank you, Don. I mean, Don is like the, what, what did he used to say? Coffee, and a cup of coffee and something else. I'm going to have to remember it now. Like, that's his motto. I'm sure he'll Give everybody know. a cof- cup of coffee and a handshake or something. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, <laughs> Don's amazing. Uh, so if you have any thoughts, if you have any strategies around, hey, here's how I show compassion, would you let us know that? You can reach out to us on our Instagram page. That is... Real nurses underscore PC. Real nurses underscore PC. If you have not uh, gone out and followed that page, please do. Uh, Aaron is our social media extraordinaire and <laughs> posts stuff on there and reminders about the new episodes and everything. You can also shoot us an email and I'll get it right this time. Real nurses PC at gmail.com. There you go. Real nurses PC at gmail.com. Hey, if you're listening on um, 
any uh, platform <laughs> here. Let me restart that because that was weird. Whatever platform that you are listening to, have you taken the opportunity or taken like two seconds to uh, subscribe? Have you taken like the two seconds to leave a quick review or, or give us a rating or something? Hey, that may be a perception. I don't have time. Well, it just takes like five seconds to do. Maybe we would a little bit greatly more. appreciate we it. We would really appreciate it. It helps to get it out there to more people. And again, it's not a, a volume-based thing, but the more people that hear it, we believe the better healthcare will be. So with that, we're going to conclude these last... Uh, three episodes, this conversation around compassion, the exact same way that we have wrapped up our episode since number one. Never forget that the work that you do matters. More importantly, you matter. And thank you for caring for our communities.